Welcome back, Dirtbags. Welcome back to another episode. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. Oh, yeah. And if you guys haven't been rocking a Mystery Ranch pack on your back there for, the I don't know, the entirety of your uh, fire season or fire career, well, you're probably doing it wrong because they build the best, most comfortable, and overbuilt, tough-as-nails fireline pack. But also, oh, yeah, they make more. They also make a ton of the best load-bearing equipment in the world. So if you guys are looking for an EDC pack, a hunting pack, a skiing bag, a backpack that you just want to throw your books in if you're in school, uh, I don't know, if you guys want to go truck across Europe and you need an extra big-ass bag to throw all of your accoutrements in, well, Mystery Ranch is going to be your answer. So head over to www.mysteryranch.com and check them out. Also, They've got some other cool stuff coming out. They're going to get back to the community here. Uh, They already do. They're partnered with Bethany over at the Smoky Generation, and they do their grants for the social uh, Smoky Generation. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. But they're also getting into the world of some other things, uh, and it involves you temporary seasonal employees. So I can't really talk about that too much uh, exactly yet, but more information will be coming down the line. Also, they have their Backbone series coming out here shortly. I am more than stoked to be working with these folks on this incredible project, and it's going to highlight some of the efforts of us in the field. So look forward to that. And once again, if you guys want to find out more, head over to www.mysteryranch.com. Another supporter of the show is going to be Hot Shot Brewery. Oh, yeah. The premier coffee sponsor of the Anchor Point podcast. And the way that they uh, support us is, well, they sling our merch. So I'm going to drop a little uh, little teaser as far as Anchor Point merch here. But we got the Misfits tea coming out here soon. And uh, I hope you guys like punk rock. And I think fire is punk rock and punk ain't dead. So That'll be dropping soon. But other than that, they got some kick-ass coffee and it's kick-ass coffee for a good-ass cause. A portion of the proceeds always goes back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. So, like I said, man, good coffee, damn good coffee for a damn good cause. So swing over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and pick yourself up some apparel. Pick yourself up some tools of the trade to get your morning started right. And also get some good coffee. Come on, man. No one likes drinking camp coffee. So yeah, check them out. Anyways, you guys are interested? Swing over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and get your morning started right. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is brought to you by The Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. And if you guys don't know what that is, well, it is epic. I highly suggest going and checking it out. It's basically a uh, digital collection of stories about wildland firefighting dating all the way back to the 1940s. So both past and present generations of firefighters have been contributing to this project. And I think it's absolutely epic. Um, If you guys want to find out more, definitely swing over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. Also, if you guys didn't know this, she's uh, hooked up with Mystery Ranch and Water Axe Pumps to help facilitate some grants for you folks in the field. So if you guys happen to be a writer, a blogger, a cinematographer, or a photographer, definitely check it out. If you guys got an epic story to tell, you have an opportunity to win one of these grants. So once again, if you guys are interested and want to find out more, go to www.wildfireexperience.org.
views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I have a gentleman by the name of Micah Booze, also known as Booze and Fire on the old socials. So you've probably seen his photography uh, rolling around the old IG, and it's pretty epic. But other than that, he is up in Alaska right now. So today on the show, primarily, we're going to talk about fire in Alaska and what to expect and some of the differences between the AK and the lower 48 definitely the wild west up there but this gentleman has been around the united states he started off in oklahoma and he has worked all the way through california nevada and ultimately landed up in the land of plenty salmon bears and moose also known as alaska he's got some good advice he's got some good philosophy and uh yeah he uh definitely talks about the power of networking and some uh environmental stuff as well uh we often overlook these environmental issues that uh our impact i guess if you will on the environment when we come in and suppress uh fires and i think that he's doing good work as far as being true stewards of the land so ladies and gentlemen without further ado micah booze on the anchor point podcast welcome to the anchor point Let's do it. Let's do it, brother. We going live? We we live. Let's bitch. live it up. <laughs> All right. NBA live. Nice <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got Micah Booze. What up, Booze? How you doing, dude? I'm doing well, man. Good to be on. Thanks for having me. Kind of oh, yeah. excited. It's uh you got a cool thing going, dude. Hell yeah, man. It's uh definitely cool to see what you got going on too. Like your photography kicks ass, dude. Dig it. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. So tell us about yourself, man. Um, I live in Alaska currently. I work for the Chugach National Forest um, as the assistant on our suppression module. Uh, we'll dive into that a little later. It's uh, a really cool job. One of the neatest places I've ever, I've ever worked and um, lived, especially. I've been here for five years. I'm originally from Oklahoma, um, where I started my fire uh, unreluctantly, or excuse me, very reluctantly, unwillingly. Uh, I had to do it. <laughs> And I hated it. I, I hated it, man. It, uh, the training was kind of a joke to me, but, um, I had done some military stuff prior to that. And so coming from, you know, where you've got really no liberty or freedom and then coming to something where some dude's trying to yell at you to dig the line harder and faster. I didn't laugh at it, but at the same time it was okay, man. Like this is cool, but whatever. Calm down, bud. Uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. It's all good. But, uh, it definitely was good for me. Uh, and I didn't start work until later that year, uh, or excuse me, later the next year, uh, 2006 busy Oklahoma season while I was in college, Southwestern state, Oklahoma university. Um, little D2 school. My wife played ball there. Uh, I better plug her top 10 all time scoring. I think still to this day. No big over deal. A thousand, <laughs> yeah. Over a thousand points. Like I'm a little dude. I'm five, eight. Um, and she's 
close to six foot, if not at right at six foot. So uh, there is hope out there for the short folk uh, if you just stay, uh, stay hard out there. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so anyway, I guess progressing, um, worked in um, the Western Oklahoma stuff and in the Great Plains there up and down from 06 all the way to 08. Then I took a a job prevention gig, which was an interesting gig, uh, in SoCal out of, uh, Santa Monica mountains. That's a pretty cool spot, man. Yeah. We were working in Paramount ranch, uh, which is where they've done a lot of filming, which is really neat. Um, everything from, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger to Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. Did you get to meet and, Chuck uh, Norris? No, I did not meet Chuck Norris, man. I would have loved to meet Chuck Norris at that point in my life. I was a young dude, maybe 22 or three. However, uh, you asked that question. I, they set us up with, uh, you know, the PT and this was a prevention style job. We were writing CWPP. So we had plenty of time to PT and, um, they set us up at a 24 hour fitness in thousand Oaks, which was where, uh, I've heard some big names said, uh, work out there when they were showing it off to us, uh, you know, on our first or second orientation type of day is where you work out, yada, yada. And Jamie Foxx, uh, has been cited here, like works out here, Michael Strahan, all these, you know, big names and stuff. And, and, and sure enough, one day I'm, I'm playing, um, I think I already got done working out. I'm playing basketball, just shooting around, uh, waiting for some pickup games to get going. Um, and I look over across the court and Jamie Foxx is sitting there. Oh, no shit. Yeah, it was really neat on the side goal. So I had some uh, headphones and listen to music. I was like, man, I just got to think. It's like, man, this dude's a normal dude, probably a lot like me. Um, and so I, I approached him and he was super nice, super humble um, in that moment. And uh, this other dude on the real goal, the main goal down low was working with his son, this big tall black dude. And he's working with his son and a uh, super nice guy, but he was kind of talking uh, some trash, uh, friendly trash. I had this Florida shirt on. And so he started talking trash. Like, I can tell you're not from Florida by the way you're walking. And I was like, no, man, I'm from Oklahoma originally. And, um, and uh, Jamie Foxx defended me against this dude. Like, yeah, OU, Texas, all this kind of cool stuff. Um, he probably would never remember that if he was getting interviewed. But, uh, but yeah, he was super cool. We played a few games of Pig. Um, if he's listening, sorry, but I beat him two to one. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, it was really neat, man. I was just talking to him. And then after that, pickup games finally got going, and, and he ended up guarding me. And uh, I guarded him. And so it was kind of neat. Uh, and then, you know, a couple days later, I'm treadmilling it up. Uh, this is an 08 once again. So I'm treadmilling it up. And all of a sudden I look, I, I see this dude out of my peripherals, this huge giant of a man. Uh, and it was Michael Strahan uh, right behind me on a treadmill. And I was like, oh my God. So I quietly got off my treadmill and went and um, took my small self somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, there, there, man. yeah, 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 dude. So I picked up surfing there uh, very novicely. Um, but I loved it, bought a wetsuit, bought a board. And I think that's what I came home with besides my last paycheck. It was, it was rather expensive and we were getting put up, but for a young man, it was too much fun. Um, so I got a little bit of kind of like the clerical or the administrative, uh, planning side of stuff there with some CWPPs. And I was a young man, so I still kind of struggled with sitting on a computer. Um, but I went back and got finished up my degree. It took me seven years at Southwestern. Oklahoma State there. Uh, I had some really good guidance that came through a guy by the name of Chad Kinder was my advisor. Um, and I was seven years for a parks and rec degree. You know, it's, I'm no doctor. I'm not operating on any parks and recs uh, programs, but, uh, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, the guy kind of swooped in at a good time for me when I was aimless, directionless. And, um, 
I don't know. He, it was good for me, man. The guy kind of saved me in a, in a certain kind of way. Uh, got me into fire, let me have my own type of leeway and, uh, basically unleashed me. And, uh, I got to do, I got to be, I wouldn't say beta tester, but one of the first ones through their, uh, wildland fire minor program, which ended up being really good for me. I got to count that. Um, so you're so basically, you basically started off as kind of like an explorer with those guys. Like yeah, a youth, yeah. youth fire. What's that? Like a youth fire kind of? No, no, no. I'd already, so I started, I, I graduated high school. Oh, three did my, like I did air guard, air force air guard stuff. So I had to go through all that training, uh, like Oh three, Oh four. Uh, and then I didn't get trained fire. Oh five. Didn't start working until Oh six. And that was all for a BIA unit. I was AD and for very actively. Um, and once again, moving up and down the great plains, doing that with them. So I kind of started liking it, uh, obviously, but it was, it was more because it was a challenge. I, I liked being in my own place with nobody I knew and kind of navigating and networking and figuring out the, the ins, the outs, uh, and strikes and gutters. If you're any Lebowski fans out there trying to, trying to navigate. <laughs> it's not fair, Lebowski. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I did, I, that was, a that was something, like I said, I was reluctant to get into, but it all worked out. I was broke one summer, that 06 summer. Uh, and then fast forward back to 08, I got to count that as an internship, my SoCal deal. I still was, you know, like I, I wanted to do fire and all that, but it, man, I, I was still kind of having fun in college and chasing stuff and whatever. Yeah, and, but then uh, you caught the bug. Yeah, I'd, I'd had the bug, but I'd kept it, I'd kept it away to a certain degree. It hadn't infiltrated my soul yet. You know, I hadn't taken hold. Oh, I wasn't shit. completely in the upside, the fire upside down yet. You know? Oh yeah. This shit will consume you though. If you let it, man, it'll become your identity real quick. If you let it. Oh yeah, dude, it latches on, it grows on you and it becomes you. And, um, <laughs> that's what happened a lot. Really long story short. Um, concisely put that oh eight season i came back bia ad for a little while longer um like oh nine into ten and then uh in 11 took took a gig in so, uh southern new mexico uh carlsbad caverns really neat area uh right on the border of texas there so you got and 11 was a big season then um after that year traveled uh really found myself and figured this is what i was talking about um found myself i did some traveling in costa rica panama for a few months backpacking come back had a hard time like time back in because i was late on the fire season higher stuff and i just witnessed like a huge third world i don't know man life-changing perspective i guess or lens and uh i don't know it affected me coming back a little bit so in 12 i was a late hire at eastern montana at a uh, mile city district uh, camp crook which was pretty sweet actually a town of 60 people two bars slash cafes uh uh, half hours on a post office. So I had plenty of time to read and keep, keep my like, I don't know, self journey going. <laughs> You're the wits about you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get, find myself in a certain way and then let fire find me too. And we had a busy season that first year I was there. So that was real cool. Uh, and then in that winter, this is a lot, sorry, by the way. Um, and then that winter, uh, Southern Illinois to the Shawnee national forest on a burn crew, RX crew, which is really sweet. A lot of good people there. I got to cut some hardwoods, which, which is fun and, um, get a lot of RX, a lot more RX experience. And then back to miles city district for a half a season until I got my, uh, my first permanent, we got pregnant, my wife and I did, and, uh, I got my first permanent in battle mountain. I was very aggressively going after a battle mountain VLM job. And uh, yeah, I love dude. Shout out to here. the BAM. Yeah, dude. BAM's where it's at. They got a, they got at least a small chunk of my heart. Them and Winnemucca in a certain way. 
Um, yeah, we had Brock Ulig there fighting. For, I think he got that AFMO job there, and, and kudos to him. He's done a great job with that program and uh, made it somewhere not so um, – scary i guess when you know you're going there that guy's that guy's that guy's awesome no he's good uh, he's good shit man I, I dig brock man i worked a lot with him in the past but uh yeah man he's uh it, it, that's a funny thing about battle mountain everybody says battle mountain it's got like that stigma kind of like the klamath it's like oh you're going to battle mountain that's where dreams go to die i'm like no dude it's actually pretty <laughs> legit out there <laughs> yeah, yeah i had some dreams come true there man like i said i had great leadership i made one of my best fire pals ever shout out to Joe Malsum, who told me to be uh, concise on this interview, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I love that guy. His family came. They came up and visited us a couple years ago, and I gave him a good Alaska experience, fed the whole family some uh, squirrels, took them out to some backwoods cabins. We had a good time. They saw some bears. Um, but he was there. Um, and that guy, he was a, he was a beast, man. He's motivated. Um, one of the few people in this career that I could say truly knew how to motivate me even against my better wishes and unwitting, unwitting and unwillingly could do that. But at the same time, he was like six months younger than me and, um, but was a dad already. And I was working on my, uh, my pre-dad task book, um, <laughs> and wasn't signed off yet. I hadn't, hadn't popped the baby out yet, but, but yeah. Joe was a real big influence on me. He taught me how to fight fire aggressively there in Nevada. And we had a, a pretty decent reputation amongst our peers. Um, and a shout out to our peers as well. We had some, like I said, fine folks. I was very fortunate there in Battle Mountain. It's a, it's a special place to me, uh, as well as when I'm up those guys have taken me in as well. We were kind of zoned up. Um, so when the O'Malley and Hawkins kind of stuff happened, um, it was, you know, <laughs> they dealt with it a lot more than I did, but I was, I was actually able to be there and on a detail and, um, 18 on a 90 day captain detail I, I did down there for him. And I got to be there for the, the cleanup uh, on the anniversary for, yeah, for O'Malley and uh, right there on the, on the highway, um, which was cool. You know, it's, it's, they're a sweet, they're a sweet family, but you know, everybody talks kind of, I guess, shit on Nevada in a certain way, but it's also where you learn to fight fire aggressively. And then there's some really tight fire communities in there and fire families and, and Winnemucca, I think is one of them. And, and partially because of that, um, you know, that tragic fatality, but, uh, I think some lessons learned and I think they've got something special there. So uh, I, I'm fortunate enough to be involved with them pretty decent. And, uh, they've always treated me like, like a brother or King or whatever. Uh, so I'm thankful for them too. And then from there, you know, like, I think, uh, you know, my wife was looking, this is 23rd, back to 2013, 14, excuse me. I was on the King fire and I've been applying hard for some of those jobs. My wife was ready to get out of Battle Mountain and I'd fix this little like shanty up. It was that or a trailer. And I fixed this thing up with my elbow grease, like the first season I was there alone um, and renting it out, you know, and like trying to balance rent with this dude. Uh, it was real cool to us in the end, but, you know, justifying like, yo, dude, I got a kid coming into the baby coming into this house. I got to fix this thing up and you've been to battle mountain, but this was a time during the like minor boom. So there was nothing besides like you, you're talking about rent earlier. You and I were like $2,000 for a, you know, a shack in the ghetto. <laughs> yes. A depressing trailer where who knows what's been going on in there before you. Um, so yeah, but but she was ready to get out. I applied hard. I got a call while I was on the King fire, uh, which was, I don't know if you recall the huge fire in California back in 14, most personnel fire, I guess. I, that's probably not the correct way to say that, but 
Uh, I think there was over 9,000 folks there. It was crazy. Dang, man. And uh, I was sitting there with Joe Malson, like I said, my, my good buddy, best fire pal. Uh, and uh, I got a call, and it was from Alaska. And I was like, oh, boy. And uh, so from there, that was, uh, I, I think, officially November 2014. I took that job. And then 15 is where the real fun began. Uh, we moved up on a ferry. Uh, we left from Nevada, stopped and saw the Malsoms. Uh, there in uh, Winnemucca, I think they were living there at the time. And then from there, went all the way up to Bellingham, Washington, hopped on a ferry um, with the only things we were going to have for like 30 days. So once we got off that ferry, we had to wait on all of our, pardon me, all of our stuff to get shipped up via container up through the ferry system or however it all came mm -hmm. on a barge, which was interesting. So you got what you think you need or what you hope you think you need. And, um, you, you know, you hop on this ferry with, I think we had a Subaru Forester, so we didn't have some, you know, huge toppered out, you know, long bed or something where we could throw a bunch of crap in. It was, thank God we didn't have a dog at the time, but I mean, I think, I think we had a cooler, which, uh, you know, of course had beards, lunch meat or some whatever organic crap Just in there. Just the bare essentials. <laughs> yeah. And then we're hoping, you know, all goes well. This is a big deal. I, mean, I think the baby was one. I think my boy was one. Yeah, he was one at the time. So he's still, he's still baby, baby. And um, we hop on this ferry for, I think, two days and 22 hours, maybe. Whew. So like three days. Yeah. And your car's parked below. And it's, I mean, this is like government stuff. It's not like some cruise ship. So you've got some little tiny, the government did pay for our move. Thank God. Oh, you guys got the, um, uh, the TOS. Yep. Yep. Transfer a station. We, we were fortunate enough to get that. And I think for the government, it was pretty cheap, but we didn't own a house yet. And we didn't have a ton of stuff. I, I can't remember our poundage like that came out of the house uh, whenever we found out how much our stuff weighed, but I think it was like 8,000 pounds. It was nothing or 11,000. I can't remember what it was. It was something tiny um, just for like the amount of stuff we had. We we're kind of minimalist in a certain way. And so anyway, we get all loaded up on this thing and two, like, I think the second first, after the first day it was just beautiful. I mean, everything was awesome. The whole trip was cool. And one day we had like 15 foot seas. It was big deal. Like, so nobody, oh. I mean, it was big, maybe 18 or 20. I can't remember. It was large. Did anybody get seasick? Everybody did, man. They, they quarantined. Everybody's like, no one can go out on the deck. And so I was like sneaking out with my camera, of course. Um, and so like there was one time I like slid up against the damn bars. There would have been no bar that had been over. And, and but it was all neat, you know, and we're seeing all kinds of marine life this is our first like whatever. And I've always wanted to live by the ocean. So I'm in hog heaven. I'm out there taking pictures and yada, yada. And then everything goes smooth. We're about to get off. And so we're eating. We stopped once in catch can to kind of uh, re beer up and to um, get like a nice breakfast at this hotel. Hop because we've been eating this. I mean, cafeteria style, it's French fries or like chili or Cisco, basically, you know, yeah. the drill. Basically, it's like it fire camp, basically. Yeah, exactly. And so anyway, we don't know. My wife swears that it was food poisoning. I'm, what I know now today is all these cruise ships that come in, the norovirus is rampant, right? Oh, and it's shit. like a two, two. So we either got food poisoning or... Uh, neurovirus on our last day, right? So we've got like four hours for we're supposed to dock and get out and drive 20 something plus more hours through Canada, back up and around through Alaska. Uh, we're off at Haines. It was the only uh, route open in the winter there. So yada, 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 we come up and around, but we're stepping off the boat. My wife's already like got the vom the vom mitzvahs. I've, uh, 
I haven't got anything yet. I'm still like drinking beer. Like I'm cool. And then, uh, my son, he, like I said, baby, he starts vomiting. I'm like, Oh boy, it's coming. So I just keep drinking. Like, I'm just like, maybe I won't. Feel it it off. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Kill some of it anyway. Um, so we, uh, so then it hits me, but it's out both ends by now for the other two parties involved here. My family. Dude, and I just doesn't, got, yeah. Norovirus does not mess around. That's for sure. Oh, that's why I think it was, I don't think, and so we, we get off and we got to drive like, so we have to drive at least like three or four hours. I can't remember to Haynes Junction, if that's where we're going to choose to stay. But, uh, I'm sure you had to drive, uh, deathly ill. It's I don't know if fun. you had to drive deathly ill with a, a wife plus a baby, but not it definitely is not fun. <laughs> um, so we get where we, I start running a fever and that's once again, why I think it was a norovirus and not the damn, uh, uh, I've never gotten a fever off food poisoning. I just vomit. So anyway, I don't want to get too vivid into all that kind of nastiness, but, um, we end up making it and it's been awesome since dude, uh, you know, 20 hours later we, end, we arrive and everyone is, was awesome to us. And, and, and Alaska has been a, a damn treat, man. It's, it's like I said, it's, we were talking earlier, you're not going to come here and, and, and unless you hustle hard and, and network well. You're not going to come here, at least in my forest or the Tongas, and make, you know, hot shot hours. I hustle hard for, you know, lower hot shot hours, but you're not going to make those up here. So it's a quality of life place, the fishing, the hunting, the, the, the beauty, all the wildlife. I mean, everything, all the wreck. Our forest is awesome. We have some crazy trails that go all the way across the peninsula with cabins dispersed on them. So you can be out there in the winter cross country skiing long distance or, you know, uh, fat tire biking or just hiking. And every, you know, every day or two, you could stay at a new cabin on the way of your hundred mile journey or whatever. You Dude, know, it's a sweet spot. Ass, man. That's yeah. It's a quality of life place, man. Oh, yeah. uh, I live down on the Kenai Peninsula. Um, now that we're off of my long stories there, I live on the Kenai Peninsula. Uh, um, South Central Alaska, about two hours south of Anchorage, and uh, and arguably the best salmon fishing in the world is right here on the Kenai River, uh, which um, we'll get into in a minute on the Swan Lake Fire. But it's a sweet area. Uh, I live in a fishing community where a lot of the fishing guides depend on non-smoky conditions, yeah. um, which they had to deal with this last season. So uh, it, it it made it interesting. But uh, I'm very blessed and very fortunate to wound up here somehow and. I think you were, you were talking about the Klamath earlier and I wanted to throw in there. I always tell the young folk, like, listen, pay your dues to the fire gods early. Okay. I have not been to Klamath yet. And I'm sure after this, I'll have to go, which I'll be glad, <laughs> glad to serve, right? Not what, not what I can do. You're going to be peeling like a ridge here in about six months, neck <laughs> deep in poison oak. <laughs> well, here's the other good news about that as well is so far I'm, I'm immune. I say that again, once again, I better knock on this wood here, but same here, um, when I was in the Shawnee, here. yeah, are you? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So I've always, I, I grabbed it one time on a pack test when I was sweaty and uh, this stuff was like wet as hell, you know, it, it was Earls, super oily. Like yeah, the earls were super heavy. And um, so I rubbed it on me and I didn't get it. You know, it was like my magic trick. I showed everybody like a day or two later, even, and I'm still clean. So <laughs> you and me have, we have, we have some superpower there. Yeah. But that always like, it was kind of like a benefit for me because I never got it. And I was up in the Pacific Northwest on the coast, you know, over in uh, Southern Oregon. And it's uh -huh. just riddled with poison oak, you know? And uh, I mean, it was nice because I didn't get it, but at the same time, everybody would go down. So I was always on the saw. 
I was yeah, yeah. only dude swamping, only dude sawing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah dude. So you're the hero, man. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm kind of a, a POS, but hey, whatever. <laughs> well, speaking of hero ship, I'll give you a little nice uh polite plug. I think it's cool what you're doing. I think a lot of people are turned on to some new ideas and some new things. Um I've I've been wanting to do a podcast for three years, four years now, and I've been staring over the edge. Well, what are you wanna, waiting for, dude? Oh, I'm going to do it now. We'll get into that in yeah, a little bit, my friend. I'm plugging plug that you. shit. Come on. Oh, yeah. Shut up. And so I, <laughs> I think it's cool what you're doing, dude. I think uh, there's a we've got a cool fire culture to begin with. And I think um, there's a lot to be said to, to, to and, and for that. But at the same time, we've also got, you know, uh, and rightly so, an ego problem to a certain degree where, you know, everyone's vetted through the ego system, in my opinion, like, and rightly so, because uh, your life and my life or whoever's life is at risk, you know, to your right and left behind you in front of you. Um, and I think that that's cool. It's a cool system, but sometimes it makes it hard and kind of scary. And I think what you've done to, to do what you've done already, because, man, I've, I've like I said, I've been trying to like... I don't know, build, build up to it. And I think it's, I think it's awesome, dude. I mean, like I said, I think there's a lot of, a lot of people behind you, even, you know, critics, haters or hate or whatever, but I think to get where you've gone and, and, to, and to, to make some moves is a big deal for all of us. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. But yeah, it's the thing, dude, it's like, we're, not a lot of people know our story too. And that's, that's why I want to highlight people like yourself or Minda or anybody else out there that's got a, a sweet story, you know? I mean, there's tons of talented people out there, and I want to showcase that, man. We're not, we're way more than just firefighters. That's for that's for damn sure. Yeah, agreed. And that was one of my talking points today. Was like um, ideas in, in fire. I, I wanted to cover some more Alaska stats. We can either naturally keep going here, meat eater style, or we can. Uh, hey, man, you're on the topic. Let's send jump it. Jump around. All right. Well, I'm going to treat it like it's my podcast, and I'm, <laughs> I'm charge here. Right hey, this now. shit ain't about me, man. This is about you. <laughs> no, it is. No, it's cool. You're doing you're doing great. I think. Um, but yeah, I, I think we have a lot of cool fire minds, and that kind of <clears throat> uh, segues into some other stuff I wanted to talk about uh, and, and exploit with those minds. I think we've got a lot of experience in a lot of different places. And when you bring a lot of minds from a lot of different places, I think you bring in a lot of new ideas where those ideas should and might be allowed. And I think we're in a pretty sweet spot, especially nowadays. I think our fire culture is a little changing and like evolving in this neat way. There's tons of dudes. Uh, you're talking about fire photography. There's tons of dudes that are better than me out there, you know, a good, a good chunk anyway that are doing what I do. Uh, I, I hope to offer a different perspective and a unique one, um, from a, from, you know, a different angle, so to speak from my own eye, but I think it's neat what everybody's doing. And I think, you know, that, that speaks to you, but I also think that we have a lot of, a lot of hardships that we could solve really easily that I think would make us all more proud and make us all, uh, I don't know, not feel as bad walking away from a type one assignment, knowing how many batteries got thrown away or quote unquote recycled. And even if they got recycled, that's a lot of energy uh, that goes into that recycling. It's a lot of energy to move those things to someplace. And the same with garbage. We, I think it's a, a joke and, I, and I'm, and I'm, I'm happy. Pardon me. <clears throat> I'm happy that we've moved to these biodegradable and decomposable bags and stuff. But if you think about what we're putting into them, I mean, I remember going to the battle mountain, landfill uh you know at work for whatever go dump you know help out around the shop and i remember going there 
and it's just littered. I mean, bags tore open with trash everywhere and ravens everywhere, and that's what a landfill is, right? But these decomposable bags, it's a great idea when you've got biodegradable stuff in it. But we don't put that in. We're putting styrofoam, putting plastic forks. And my firefighter mind says, like, yo, dude, bring your own damn spork, metal. Like, And if, you, if you're worried about losing one, buy three or four of them. They're like five bucks a piece, maybe. Yeah. Uh, you pay more for that for you know, a pair of boots a zillion times over. And so there's all kinds of little things. I mean, everything from bringing your own spork to like somehow influencing these vendors to use biodegradable stuff somehow. Uh, you, you know, and being more responsible there. I've heard some, I was talking to a buddy before this interview, I told him I was going on with you, man. And he's like, yeah, I've seen, you know, I was making the joke about like what we put in these biodegradable bags or these, you know, these things that rot away and everything else. It's goes practically loose. radioactive inside that bag. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else is just scattered to the wind. And I think for us that give a damn, you know, about, to, you know, having a, a light hand on the land, especially with what we do, that's us, right? Which I have a whole nother uh, side movement I'm working on, too. I'll get into that in a minute. Just get me on uh, the surface, poo, here in a second. <laughs> but um, I've got a movement uh, in, in, in the draw-ups right now. But I, I think for the folks like us that care, I, I it makes sense to switch over to this stuff and influence over to this stuff. I mean, I think it's really neat. I think the Alaska fire family, right? I think it's a small fire personnel family, but huge ground and untouched in a lot of places. And so we're real careful about, uh, you know, where we put dozer line because three days later that turns into a straight man-made built river. Yeah. If it's not rehabbed correctly or if it's not even put in place correctly. So there's all these things we're always looking out for. There's tons of backhaul I think we could fix. I, I mean, in Alaska, I bet what I was going to say earlier is I think the I, I, I know Tina and Midnight Suns are doing it for sure. I'm pretty sure the bros out of the Jumper Shack are doing it. Uh, I'm not sure who started it, but I remember seeing Tina. Uh, the first first out of the gate to do it, and then everybody else followed suit uh, if it wasn't a different order. And I don't think it matters, but I think credit is due there at AFS. They have some brilliant minds. And both shot crews, uh, every Alaska season since, I think they started this in 16 or 17, but they got custom built, not just Goal Zero, which uh, we use on my crew, it's Goal Zero, but uh, some custom built, um, nice fabricated solar panels and they haul them in there uh, and they use their, you know, 10 or whatever, 10 bank charging system. And those charge, those recharge, those new KNGs go a long time, like two or three days. They're better dude, than those, double A's. Yeah, right? those uh, rechargeable batteries, they last for freaking ever, dude. Even if your yeah. like, transmission, uh, your tra uh, transmission is on high, if it's mm -hmm. the mode is on high, dude, it still lasts forever. Yeah, it's incredible. And that's, that's a, and that's, that's a good technological boost compared to what we've had I, my unit we're just now we had to do some um we've, we've had some issues with our radios i don't want to get into it over the over this radio but uh we because i don't want to incriminate anyone it's not incriminating fashion but it's definitely you know inside information but we've had we've had a we've had an uphill battle with some radio stuff and we're just now getting some K and G's, um, to be able to use with our cooperators up here. But, you know, AFS has been doing it for a long time back to them and, and, and no, I mean, that's a big deal. Double a batteries, right? I mean, I, I, you know, in 2016, I believe it was the refresher video. I went back and watched it before this. So this is available on the internet for anybody who's willing to do the research. And I did some research before this show, um, you know, and, and they talked about, I remember this stat and it stuck out for a long time, but it's 350,000 AA batteries in a 
I think in the terms he used it, and I even wrote it down, uh, and it was in a heavy day, on a heavy day, and a heavy fire season. So, for instance... And that's uh, like nationwide, right? 350,000 batteries yes, a day? Yes, in a day, okay? Holy so that's shit. nationwide. That's the big days. So even if it's 100,000 in a day, that's big numbers. But I think it was 2018. I did this. I got it all written down here. I've got it right down here. And in, and in uh, I think it was 2018, they did, uh, we had, I think we were in a PL of five for 30 days. So 30 times 350K, that's 10.5 million, right? Batteries that's a, lot, a bro. day. That's a shit ton That's of batteries. just batteries. That's not coffee cups. That's not plates. That's not forks. That's not knives you didn't use that came with a fork and a spoon and the little packets of salt and pepper. And you, you get it. I mean, you, you see it. That's micro trash times of way more than 10.5 million. That so plastic's that's a huge batteries. problem. And then batteries, which are kind of, they're difficult to recycle too. That's a thing, man. Like you're saying, that yeah, energy required to recycle that stuff? Yeah, I'm not super eco crazy guy. However, I feel like there's there's easy things, right? Small steps make big steps. And I think there's easy things. I, I was in 2011 that year, I was in Carlsbad Caverns. And it was, it was park service and this is uh, much love to the park service, but they're super into recycling. And so I got on board and I was like heavily brainwashed to like, I don't know, like, and once again, this is not talking stuff on anybody, but I'm not into like the social warrior judgment stuff. For instance, like if you threw a can away, you'd get, I mean, even I was doing it like a bad look. And one day the smoke jumper from Wenatchee, he's, a, he's kind of a legend actually. He's still there seasonally, maybe in his sixties. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know if I should give his name away, but maybe I should because he was a really good influence. His name was, uh, I, I think it was John Spencer. And, um, uh, and and people that'll hear that name will know it if, if they know him. But he was a soccer coach and stuff, a chemistry teacher. Real good dude. But I was young, man, and kind of cocky, of course. And he said, we, and, you know, we were talking about recycling or something. It's like, he listened to me, which I thought was real cool um, because it made it more profound whenever he did speak. And he said, booze did you ever think uh, how much energy goes into recycling and i before i said anything i was like hmm it's a good ass question right totally and so then you, and then you look into that stuff and it's 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 a lot more i mean I, I think basically all that to say i think we can get a lot simpler i think we can get, get a lot more efficient uh and a lot more like responsible most importantly i mean we're doing a responsible job i think it makes sense for us to try to be responsible um and so i think you know the solar panels it's pretty applicable in most of the western states to be used oh, absolutely um, for spiking out for big for big ic you know, for like type two fires, type one fires, there's some stuff we can figure out besides using generators with, you know, fuel, uh, without using all, I mean, solar's easy. I mean, unless you're socked out, but whatever, then you got a backup. Of course, there's always a backup, but I think that, and then I think, you know, another big one is this Gatorade stuff that dude, most was, of us reject anyway. I was I mean, just about to say that, dude, like think of how dude. many plastic bottles that we go through a day, even like Bro. opposed to the battery thing. That's, that's its own separate issue. Right. But the yeah. freaking amount of plastic water bottles, those little 12 ounce or 16 ounce water bottles or the 16 ounce, uh, Gatorade bottles. I'm not shitting on Gatorade by any means, you know, it serves its purpose, but I think if we were to switch to some other thing to where it'd be, you know, you can have, we all have water. If you were to yep. tra transfer into something like, I don't know, like uh, noon or drip drop or something like that, I think it'd be better, man. You know, cut down well, a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, and shout out to Clay Hess uh, for being on your show with those water filters, man. Like, that was a cool deal. He's I, a good dude. No, man, I, I liked working with him. He was a nice uh, breath of fresh air sometimes, um, you know, from the module. And I had a good time on that detail uh, there at Flaming Gorge. But shout out to him for what he does in his off time. But he brings a certain value to all, uh, this this conversation as well, in my opinion. I've been, you know, here in Alaska. So when we go cabin camp with my family, we've got a sweet little MSR uh, hand pump, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have a a 10 person module, you have a hand pump or two. That's easy. You have a, a 20 person module, have a couple of them. Right. And then just like you do for spiking out up here, this is totally applicable in Alaska, not so much in the great basin, like, like as is, uh, solar. I think solar is easily the most implementable idea minus the, uh, like biodegradable foodware. Right. Um, but, but I definitely think the water here, the water in, uh, you know, the P and W Pacific Northwest there, or even in the great lakes, right. We could haul in this, you have somebody go back and cook most of the time anyway. What's the difference? You don't have all the, you, you, you reuse a QB or whatever, instead of back on all that crap to get new QBs that they're bringing in by, you know, $10,000 an hour worth of a helicopter, whatever the price is. I don't know. Um, but you get you get what I'm saying. There's a lot of easy easy ways to do this, and I, and as far as the Gatorade goes, man. And once again, yeah, I, I'm not here to trash on a on a brand, but at the same time, I know a lot of guys that are like me and gals who don't drink it. I don't drink it, man. I, I will I don't not even touch it. that stuff, dude. It's too bulky. It weighs too much per whatever, and more importantly, like all the contents. And I'm not like on board with you know all that stuff, especially while I'm already taking in a bunch of toxins via the smoke and, and black. Right. But think about this, like, let's get over eco stuff for those who don't like that. Let's talk dollars, man. I mean, for, okay. The product noon, right. Uh, N U U N you can get it at the grocery store and it's a little vial, right. A little cylinder vial full of 10 effervescent electrolyte tablets. And that weighs maybe uh, 1.5 ounces. A couple or ounces at the most. Yeah. And it fits in everywhere. And you've got 10 servings, right? And they cost like mm, seven, eight bucks. They're a little pricey, but you get 10 servings, right? What do two Gatorades cost nowadays? Maybe three, yeah. if we're being honest. Maybe five yeah, bucks that, or something. Yeah. So there's your three, your three Gatorades for the same budget as you're getting 10 of these other, you know, suckers, right? Oh, these yeah. things that you just drop in your Nalgene, right? And you've got, if you don't like the taste on all your other water, right? You put it in one, but these are simple solutions. I think that we just overlook every day and we're not promoting them. The boots on the ground have a lot more say than we think we do in a certain regard, respectfully, of course, and in the right channels. I'm, I'm all about that, but I definitely think we get so scared to share our ideas. Sometimes I've been on fires where you, you know, you're like, Hey man, we're really smacking this thing and locking horns with it. And we've lost every time. Let's scoot back and go two roads over rather than right at it and burn out. You know, let's, let's get that. But people, I, I don't know, man. I think, I think our idea capabilities are extreme. And I think, the level used is pretty low. Exactly, man. But that's one thing that the fire service really genuinely hates. It's, it's change, you know, they're so reluctant to change. And it's like the status quo thing, which I I credit where credits do. I've seen a lot of modules and a lot of districts out there, you know, taking advice from their ground, their boots on the ground, so to speak, and that actually going up the chain of command. But if we're going to be true stewards of the land, like we're supposed to be, which we do every day in our job, we need to start acting like it, man. And I think uh, some of these ideas that start organically and work their way up, they have a lot of value, like you're saying, man. Yeah, I think, 
I don't think every idea is awesome, man. I, I, I'm an ideas guy. I like, I like to like self promote that, but at the same time for every, like, you know, one awesome idea I have, I've bounced off, you know, two or three stupid ideas to some buddies that I feel comfortable with. Right. You know, and whether that's over beers or fishing or whatever, but that's all it takes. I'm telling you is, you know, it's like any change. I, I think I've talked to you several times. We've been having some good conversations via the telly and, um, making contacts with each other, but I don't, I think it was Margaret Mead that said you only need three to 5% of the population and the rest fall in line, right? Most people are followers in that degree. And that's not to say anything bad. Um, but I think, I think the people that know who they are in their certain regimes and in their certain capacities, and, and once again, responsibly speaking, I think in the right way, but I think these ideas could be expressed. And then, you know, it's, 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 it's just like those Midnight Suns and Chino and the, and the AK bros. I love all those guys and the fire specialists um, because they get to use their brains. They're not just using their backs. And I think they come up with some very valuable ideas that need to be implemented in a lot of places where it can be implemented. And, you know, just the solar panels, just for an example, as a, as a front page, I mean, we're talking big money saved and we're talking lots of, lots of crap in the earth, not having to be crap in the earth. Oh, absolutely, man. And that's another thing too, is I think if we were to get some uh, of these companies, like put a bug in their ear, like, hey, yo, Elon, in the one in a million chance that you're listening to this uh, episode here. <laughs> yeah, shameless no, plug, bro. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, you got solutions, man. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like I said, man, there's there's a dime a dozen of me out there. It's it's just a matter of like using, I, I've used my personality, my network's decent amount to be able to be loud about it. And uh, for better and worse, uh, you know, it's got me in trouble before, but it's also... Uh, helped out everyone else around me before. So I'm willing to, you know, put these ideas out there. I, it's easy to be scared. It's hard to do something, uh, you know, that's hard. Look at oh, you, yeah. you know, it's, you know, I don't know. I think, I think these are easy, but we're talking about crap in the earth. So here's my next, uh, you know, what I call fire idea. I know fire where you're idea. going with this one. I laugh yeah. my ass off, but at the same time, I'm on, I'm on team booze here uh, on this one. <laughs> yeah. Team booze, join, join team booze on this one for everybody. So like Alaska, man, this is, this is, and this is where it gets bad. Okay. So, okay. We'll just talk in the lower 48. Most people know this experience, right? You're hiking on a trail, yada, yada, yada. Hey, how's it? Oh, what's that? I got to go pee. And like, you go pee. Oh, what's that? Or you just, and somebody who doesn't have, have the wherewithal or the like consideration has placed their shift tickets, uh, <laughs> plus, plus debris right off the trail, man. No, no cat hole, no nothing. And I find that completely disgusting and unacceptable. Absolutely. And I think it's nothing irritates me more than on a fire where I come across a surface turd. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to say, because this is part of the movement, um, surface shitting is what it's called yeah. in our line. So I've got a movement. I'm, uh, it's going to be a grassroots effort. I'm, I'm be coming out here, rolling it out pretty soon. Uh, I've been doing a lot of thinking about it, and I'm a man of thought. I don't like impulsively uh, rolling stuff out. So this one's been well thought out, um, but it's going to be a, um, a movement against surface shitting coming soon. Good. Uh, I'll have some stickers available. I hope to throw those in all that stuff. I think, I think once again, <laughs> shout out to those folks doing their uh, fire, fire side hustles, the sling low box. Maybe they'll get a couple hot shop brewing and, and, uh, you and, uh, you know, all these other folks. But I, I think, you know, highlighting those folks is, is cool. What you've been doing 
So I hope to be involved in some of that, you know, like uh, side hustle fire culture. Dude, I'm uh, 100% on board with this movement. No surface shitting. If you guys yeah. do that, if you're listening to this and you're a surface shitter, oh man, dude, quit fire. That is, that is unacceptable. Completely. Every crew needs like, so on, you know, my crew gets a speech. Like I, I roll with the R10 type 2 IA. Uh, throw together U- uh, U.S. Forest Service crew up here in Alaska, and it's the Tongass and the Tugats, and then we get like some trails folks will help man, you know, whatever. We get a little bit of militia help and stuff in there too. It's a real neat crew, and we're coming from like six or seven different jet ports, so it makes it a crazy interesting like uh, crew boss scenario yeah. for me. I'll get into a good crew boss one here in a second. Good story for you, but um, yeah, every every time I take the crew out, I'm that's one of the like first rules is no surface shitting. Uh, you know, and don't set your tent up next to it. Make sure you're scouting. I had a dude come up to me one time and he's like, man, boo, somebody did a surface shit right after the whole, after the whole speech and everything right by the, right by my tent. And I was like, well, yeah. So he was like, show me, he showed me. And it literally, it was like, I mean, he could have stuck his foot out there and, and out of the backside of his tent where he didn't have a flap at least. But, but I'm like, man, there's nobody on this crew doing that to you. It's like day two, bro. No one has any beef yet, you know, yeah. or not that that's coming. But, you know, as like you just I was like, when did you set your tent up? What time? of day? He's like, well, it was yesterday evening. Of course, in Alaska, right? No, 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 uh, no nighttime. nighttime really. I mean, this was the in the interior. So it's, you know, I'm like, OK, so it's daylight. But yeah. I'm like, did you look around? He's like, well, I thought I did. I'm like, man, somebody left that there from the last crew. And I knew who the crew was. And, nothing, you know, Uh-oh. you know what I'm saying? H- had yeah, some I was like, you need words. to move your tent. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't look well. But, yeah, I think it's a big problem. I think it's an eyesore. Uh, and not just the folks that are fighting fire, man. I mean, most of us know about it. We're dealing with it. Like, in Alaska, it's bad because that stuff just freezes and doesn't go anywhere. And then, you know, next year it's there, plus the new stuff that's there from, you know, some <laughs> out-of-country traveler, or even some city slicker that comes up here thinking – whatever they're going to see a grizzly bear or a brown bear on the side of the road you know oh god that's that, that it infuriates me when people serve a shit yes yes totally yeah um but yeah the the crew boss thing up here is an interesting thing so i was, I was telling you before like my first crew boss up in the interior you, we're talking about a lot of these solutions and ideas some of those already get implemented I mean, we're pretty minimal impact and stuff and that deals with the wildlife but uh my first crew boss assignment well my first year up here let's just break that down um my first like i, was, I see in a fire that went type two like the minute i took it and everybody else this is 2015 our second biggest season on record 2015 and so uh, on on district, which is rare, lightning strike, um, fire right like half a mile from a business, and I got nothing. Everybody's on this big fire up in Willow called the Sockeye Fire, which is where a bunch of like mushers and folks that are identify themselves with the Iditarod uh, um, park their park their caravans up there and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's it's an interesting place, but everybody's dedicated up there, right? We got dogs and people's lives at stake and stuff. So then this like a huge wave of lightning comes in. I get this fire that goes type two and I'm like brand new to Alaska. And I'm like, oh boy, had nothing. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I had nothing. And there's another fire across the river on the same, like whatever adjacent across the river. It's a big deal. So like I'm getting handed all this pile of crap. Like, I don't know what to do. You just learn by OJT on the job experience. And then uh, later that year, like I'm working on my crew boss, my first crew boss assignment, my first real bush fire uh, is up in the interior. 
and we're up in like Manly Hot Springs. Anybody know where that's at? It's up like in the interior. It's nice. It's, you know, into the road, well, the version of the road rather. And, um, yeah, so that uh, rewind real quick. I got ahead of myself that last fire, um, there in, 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 uh, on, on our district, right. We had, uh, somebody working on division training and they got mauled by a bear, brown bear up on the hill across and on this like fire. That was pretty crazy anyway. Um, so that all came out. It was a big deal. He, he survived. He's in the house for like a week and he's fine. Um, got bit in the ass, I think. And, and, and I think he was lucky cause he had his cargo pocket full of stuff and where it tried to bite him there, it got, you know, man purse and whatever maps or whatever was in there, you know, kind of acted like a little bit of armor in his pocket. Yeah. Yeah. He had a little Kevlar in his, uh, in his cargo pocket. So, but I think it maybe did like bit him or something. Uh, anyway, fast forward back to that first crew boss assignment of mine. My first encounter with the bear I had a little black bear, what we call, you know, not properly termed, but uh, a suitcase sized bear, if you will. Um, probably just separated from its mother, a female, and it kept coming back into our camp. And it was, it was pretty interesting and funny. Like it only liked, First of all, it only liked tortillas and salsa. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, it was funny. Like we had all these meats buried in the tundra freezer, which is a dug hole covered up like some Vietnam stuff where nobody would find it. And um, so we've got a bunch. And finally, it's gotten to that, but it kept coming back and it was a problem. Midnight Suns very respectfully moved out of that area. They said they've never had to be a part of, a, um, you know, taking out a bear. And they knew it was coming because they knew that bear was going to keep coming around. And it sure did. We had a I was once again, crew boss. And the very first time that bear came into camp, my crew boss trainer was sitting on a log eating his uh, like whatever ramen or something, whatever came in the fresh food box. And he said, I said, hey, man, there's bear in here because everybody's freaking out and people are chasing it off. And so like, as the leaders, I'm like, yo, what's up? It's like, we got a bear in camp. What's the protocol? What do we need to do? I'm new. And he's like, eh, he didn't even look at me. He's stirring his ramen noodle. And he said, eh, you'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll leave like, you to uh, fend for your own devices against this bear, huh? <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting. I had a lot of people upset and trying to figure it all out. Eventually got a smoke jumper in there as our bear guard and he ended up having to take that bear out and he was super respectful. Another smoke jumper that was, well, another person, I probably just gave that away, but another person wanted to come and take some photos and, and the guy that had had, you know, this was an out of state or dude, but, um, our guy that had to shoot the bear was in Alaska and he's like very respectful of having yeah. to take a lot of the circumstances. I helped him butcher it up and clean it at the dump there in Manly hot Springs. Uh, it was a crazy experience, you know, man, first year, uh, let alone it being a crazy fire year, uh, all year long. So it was, it was interesting, but it's, it's, um, it's an unusual place to fight fire. And, and I think the folks that probably came up here this year got a good taste of that for better and worse, you know? Yeah, man. So, I mean, since we're on the subject of like the differences between the lower 48 and Alaska, I mean, you got bears, you guys get fresh food boxes, like uh, Alaska firefighting, which I've never been, never been to Alaska fire fire, but the differences are like night and day, dude. So let's get into some of that, man. What's it like fighting fire in AK? Yeah, sure. Good question. Uh, it's a lot different, man. And, and like you, I'd never been into it at all until like I just got dunked and drowned in it, submersed. And, um, 
2015, first year here, epic, epic year, kind of like this last year. So we'll just talk more about 2019 since it's more relative to most folks. Um, you know, we had uh, 719 fires, I think I calculated via stats, and that's from tiny to very large, um, which for 200, excuse me, for 2.6 million acres, um, we had 122 crews up from the lower 48, which I think Ooh. is a record. We had 111 aircraft in the state at the peak. We had 30 team assignments and we spent 16 days at a PLA five. So it was a busy year, man. Um, yeah, you, you know, guys we, had more acreage burned up there than the entire lower 48 last year. Yeah. So I think a lot of people got a good dose of Alaska this year, which I think is very cool and unique. Uh, it doesn't happen in a lot of people's careers. It did, never happened in mine uh, until I moved up here, obviously. But um, I, I think the biggest grumble I heard and respectfully heard, I, I respect the person that said it. Um, I just kind of made network with this dude and he was on a crew and I heard him say, say to his crew, he's like, I'm tired of these Alaskans not uh, thinking we can fight fire. And, you know, I sympathize with that at the same time, you know, I go back to my camp, not really like fire camp, but I'm saying like my faction of Alaskans. And the one thing we're worried about is all this stuff flaring back up, which is exactly what the Swan Lake fire did. So it's a different beast. You're not digging, so to speak. I mean, it's fat, fat, fat saw line. Um, you know, and we talked about dozers earlier where we, where we used them on the Swan Lake fire. Uh, I'll just speak from, you know, that walking trees down like big D nine. That was where we had it. Um, just walking trees down. I think I had footage in my Alaska video this year of that. And it's, the minute you start scraping blade, like I said, you can get a river real quick. And so it's, it's, it's a lighter hand on that, but definitely taking out a lot, a big, a big swath with trees to make that line to burn off of and to do whatever you can. Um, a lot of, a lot of, um, what we call beaters, um, which would be, I think the bros, the jumpers develop those at some point. Um, and those guys are really awesome. They're my favorite some of my favorite folks in fire. Um, I've got some really good relationships with some of those guys and they're bright minds along with the fire specialists and our fire, our shot crews are really good too, but um, you know, they developed the beater to put those to beat the fire out. Kind of like what you would use a flapper, which I never yeah. used and made fun of a flapper in a grass fire. Nothing better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what we use a lot up here. Uh, you know, as far as initial attack goes, other than that, everything gets plumb. So, um, everything almost we, the, the Swan Lake fire ended up being 167,000 uh, acres and some change. And there was a good chunk of it that was plumbed, um, where we could plumb it. And once again, we've got ample water. So, uh, you know, the, the homie Mark, the third shows up in every like drop point times 10, you know, it's like real Mark on scene. Yes. Mark the third, you know how to carry him on your back real quick up here. You know, all the tricks of the trade, like swap this part out, crack that, do this, whatever. It's not work and start over and start from the fuel. You know, you get real, real, real capable on those. Um, and, and so it becomes a Mark three host show a lot. There's not as much digging line, but mop up can be a, a, you know what? Um, and that's, I think that's, that, that, in my opinion, is kind of like the hardest part to share with folks because we all want to get mop up done, swat our hands full, like clap our hands off the, with the dust and be moving to the next fire whenever like, you know, mop up pays bills, man. Mop up makes money is always what I was told. But up here, it's dude, mop up is intense. I mean, you're, you're going like sometimes a hundred to 300 feet interior, like depth plus 
you know, cold trail and everything every day again. So you might show up, let's say the fire's out, so to speak, like you're not seeing the cool NAR stuff, the photo ops, but your crew shows up and like, Hey man, we need you guys to start mopping up. It's like, all right, it's day one. We'll mop up. Well, day 14, you might still be mopping up in the same, like not have a new chunk of ground, but it's, I don't know. Like you, 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 you don't salute sayonara to the fire. You know, if it's a big fire till the end of the season, let alone like a smaller fire until you've had plenty of chances to check it and monitor it. But, um, lots of pumps, lots of aerial, uh, insertions. Um, we have, a, I think we have around 70 smoke jumpers is what their aim is to try to get. And I think they'll get that this year. They've got a lot of rookies this year. Um, and once again, that's a really cool program with a lot of real good, humble dudes. Um, and I think the fire specialist program, I'm hoping to see them get to do some more details. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but, uh, that's a good opportunity for folks as well. So, um, hold you there, dude. Uh, what is a fire specialist? I mean, we all know what, uh, what, a, what a smoke jumper is, but a yep. lot of people don't know, or they need some understanding about what an Alaska fire specialist is. So what is that? Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a unique position. It's I've only, like I said, when I got up here, it was brand new to me. I had to figure it all out as well, but the fire specialists basically are single resources. They're firefighters, primary and only. Um, so they've got, uh, I believe four zones, maybe I hope I'm not messing that up. Galena, uh, uh, they have the mill, the mill zone, Galena, uh, I believe Tanana or Nanan, I think it's Tanana zone. It is in upper Yukon. And so they're basically the BLM uh, of Alaska. We don't have a lot of BLM land, but the AFS is Alaska Fire Service. What they've done is so like in lieu of BIA agencies, because Alaska does a really different thing. They do corporations for their native land. Um, and so all the tribes kind of, or the native folk have a corporation that runs the show rather than a, a Bureau of Indian Affairs. Mm -hmm. And so... AFS is hired via contract, I believe, and I could be messing this all up. I'm sure we'll find out in comments later. But AFS, uh, to my knowledge, um, they do um, fire suppression for those corporations. So once again, those zones and for the mill zone, which is uh, Fairbanks at Fort Wainwright. Gotcha. Um, but a fire specialist, once again, think of a single resource. Think of somebody who's, uh, you know, IC4 or greater in quals. Um, so for instance, if, if Brandon, you are, a uh, let's say you're a strike team leader, a task force leader, or maybe you fobs or whatever, you show up, you might get, you'll, you're first of all ordered as a fire, as a firefighter too, I believe on the resource order. And then they, they evaluate where they would need you. So for instance, you might be task force leader qual, but now you're going to be, um, logistics or planning and well, heck I'll just, now I got my, you know, planning book open, right? I'll work on that. So they're very versatile, but once again, very intelligent and very like adaptable to any situation uh, that they get kind of thrown in. Once again, if it's any in the aviation stuff, planning, logistics, all that stuff, it basically they show up and, and be able to man a type three organization, so to speak, if that helps put it in perspective. But they also um, get to get out quite a bit lower 48. They're, they're single resources, mercenaries, so to speak, but, but with valuable quals and valuable things to bring to the table and very cool people. That's pretty badass. That sounds like a fun, that sounds like fun. 
Yes. And they used to open up, uh, I'm hoping to see him doing it, but I think they've been struggling for funds in the last couple uh, years, but they, they, they were doing, um, I'm not sure how long, I think it was an eight week detail or something, but they would do details, uh, for folks like, let's say you're out of whatever, uh, battle mountain. We'll, we'll use those fine folks. Let's say you're out of battle mountain and I'm out of uh, Tahoe or whatever. Or I'm out of, uh, Topaz. It's, I think that's where Joe works. And, uh, we might go up and do a detail for eight weeks and I'm not sure how the funding goes, but it used to get paid for, I think by the, by the AFS. Um, and anyway, so you can work on your task force, you can whatever, just work on Alaska experience, just work on being way, way more rounded. It's to throw you in that. And, the, and you're really only, uh, tied to the hook for that Alaska season. And then you're back to your unit. So it's a really neat deal. I'm hoping to see they do it again. I'd like to do it. That'd be, that'd be, a dream come true. That'd be one of a once a lifetime kind of experience, man. And like all the skills that you gain up there. Cause it's, it's a wild west up there, man. Shit is just hands down different. That'd be cool. It is. It is, man. There's a lot of innovative, creative people in that department and in that place. And that's what makes Alaska cool is once again, you know, you're talking about, you know, the difference is I like for me, if I, if I have my crew or if I'm in task force leader role or something, I'm planning three to five days out every time. I'm not worried about like, we're going to wrap this up today. Like I know what I need to get done the next three to five and what my crews or whoever needs to get done. And, um, it's made me a better firefighter in lower 48 as far as planning. Once again, coming up with these ideas. Um, and it's not just, ideas in the sake of, Hey, you know, these are ideas, right. But these things that you can plug in and, and put in where nobody else is kind of offering that up yet. And it's like, yo, why aren't we doing this yet? Like we could be, you know, getting ahead of the curve here. And that's a lot of Alaska stuff because you do not get what you need or want sometimes. Oh, yeah. And so you make, you make do with what you got and, uh, you know, whether it's point protection or, you know, I mean, whatever, you know, 20 foot, wide 30 foot wide saw line however it all works i mean you got to get it done and you got to get it done like to yesterday sometimes damn it and that's a that's just a consequence of the remote locations the fuel type you got the tundra and the black spruce up there i mean all these things play hand in hand dude it's just like it's it's thug shit really <laughs> it's 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 gnarly up there from what i hear i have no firsthand experience about any of this but you do so well, you know, I don't want to take too much credit, man. I've been here for five years. I, I am a true Alaskan, like I was telling you before. I just bought a house during the Swan Lake fire, so it took a little while, but we got it done. Uh, but I've been here for five years, and um, which is very small to some of these some of these folks who've been here for a long time and have way more knowledge of this stuff to me. And I'm humbled by those folks. I think back to that first fire I was on, you know how, like I was saying the ego stuff, right? We already judge. We're all like, who the heck is this guy? You know, I don't want to throw the word bagger out there, but who the heck is this dude? And I'm like, this guy's got every kind of flare on that you can think of office space style. He's flared up. And, uh, he had like, he had like, uh, blouse boots, like 16s blouse. He had two tones, special sewn pants. He had, and it's like, it's August, I believe on this fire and it's cold out this morning and he's sleep, like he's shirtless, but with a, with the leather, like croc Dundee vest on, <laughs> he's got a Bowie knife on, he's got like a, you know, he's got all this, this stuff and like some sort of outbacky bush hat. And I'm like, dude, I'm whispering to my trainer or somebody. I can't remember who it was. I'm like, yo, who is this cream of some young guy? And they're like, that dude's a legend. I'm like, what do you, you know, that guy right there, I'm pointing at him again. He's like, yeah, that's the guy. I'm like, no <laughs> way, man, no way. And he's like, yeah, he's got a book about him. He's, you know, whatever. And I'm like, Phew. 
it was a good humbling learning moment for me. So I don't judge people anymore. And I don't, I don't, I don't throw anybody on the bus till I know the product or till I know like from a trusted source of, you know, inside source of mine, yeah. uh, you know, what they're capable or not capable of or who they are, because everybody's got something to offer, man. And we've all, I've got some good bagger stories of my own where I've, where I've, uh, you know, internally been embarrassed, uh, with, with stories that have not completely been shared, but stuff that I know had happened in my own career where I'd be like, dude, what the fuck was what, I thinking? What you, yeah. What are you doing, man? You young little sophomore, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, that's the thing though, dude, is like, we, we always fail to realize like, you know, we've all been guilty of bagger shit. Every one of us. So take it with a little slice of humble pie. But then again, I understand the value of, you know, the anti bagger kind of movement because it holds you accountable. For sure. Yeah. It cleans things up. It does, man. So I understand its value, but you know, we also can't take ourselves too seriously at the same time. For sure. For sure. All right, dude. So yeah, yeah man. So that's Alaska is pretty badass, though. I mean, but like as far as like the logistics shit goes, like tell us about how you guys get your food, because it's not like you guys are eating MREs every day. I mean, it, it doesn't work, especially with how remote it is. Like, so tell us a little bit about the like food boxes and what you guys get up there. Sure. Yeah. So like we're expected. So like I'll just I'll just give you a, my perspective from my tech to IA crew um, is we're expected to be sufficient for like three days, of course, just like any other type two I crew. So that means MREs, whatever. Uh, we'll get all that stuff uh, netted up and sling loaded in. Let's say we're getting helicoptered in and uh, that stuff will follow us in later. We'll set up a little sling site or a, or a uh, hell spot. Pardon me. But um, the fresh food boxes, like you put your order in uh, and usually they come in. Um, you're supposed to get them on the third day. Sometimes it's the fourth. Uh, it just depends on when you show up on the cycle. It may be the sixth if you show up really poor on the cycle uh, or the however it works. Anyway, but um, those contracts, the vendors change every year and they do a pretty decent job of getting input from folks and like what sucks and what's great. Uh, but uh, I think the biggest bartering and negoti- negotiating always uh, goes towards the, the stakes. Uh, they're usually a... A big New York strip in there uh, for so so typically is how it work is you and me would would split a box um, we might have our own box and everything that's kind of like community or super collective for instance your silverware all the little stuff like aluminum foil because that come in every box so you and me will share a box uh, they're good for two folks for three days I believe um, you can go a lot further with that, that there's so much crap in there. And so after like your second order would be what's called your B box. And what's that's just, just like your supplemental recharge, uh, or resupply. Um, you know, I think you get another, some more meat and steak in there plus cheese and whatever. But, uh, yeah, typically the way it works is you get your food box and, uh, you're in charge of cooking, like maybe a fire module would do, um, uh, in the field spiking out, uh, those come every three days. Um, and you divvy that up between you and a partner or once again, depending on what kind of crew you collectively, that that's everything from, you know, Snickers bars to tortillas to, to, uh, beans for burritos to, you know, pre-cooked bacon to quote unquote, fresh canned vegetables in these fresh food boxes. Uh, you get some beef jerky, you get some, you know, whatever vegetables and stuff. And then you hash that all out, however the crew works or however you, you, you know, you and your partner work. And then yeah, for us in a, in, you know, in a, in a typical bush fire case, we'll build a kitchen, uh, try to, depending on where we're at, try to build a sub, uh, subterranean, freezer storage area locker for you know to keep stuff out of bears you can throw logs on it and, and branches just kind of keep the critters out 
it keeps the critters out, but it keeps your food cool, you know, being underground there, uh, especially if you've got any kind of tundra location where you can kind of dig down the tundra. Is that like the um, permafrost? Like, explain like the per- permafrost thing too. I mean, yeah, the permafrost, it's it, once again, depending on where you're at on a fire, so to speak, uh, you, you would dig down. And in some places I've seen it as, 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 high as three feet low under that kind of sounds counterintuitive, but three feet below the surface in some places it's six feet or whatever. But once you get there, it's just, it's like hitting treasure, man. Like you, your Pulaski or your shovel is tink, tink, and you scrape ice, you know, you're there and you can't go any further. Uh, the problem with disturbing that is once you've disturbed it, even if you throw stuff back on, you've given that a different temperature, that ice, that permafrost ice, and it melts. Uh, and the, problem creating once again let's say we're doing that for dozer or we're digging you know in our camp or something that'll turn into water eventually right and so you have this big mud mid big mud bog Uh, but not so much with the tundra freezers as much but yeah uh, it's usually three to three to five six depending on where you're at feet below sometimes even shorter uh below the surface Hmm. and that's the best place to keep all that cold stuff um all your food box (laughs) stuff yeah. Yeah. And then of course the rule is no, uh, no food in your tents, big no, no for the bears. Uh, you would rather them get your camp food than to get you and your camp food in your tent, right? Your little Snickers, you've been bogarting from your buddy. Uh, <laughs> you took all the Snickers and Reese's type of situation and, uh, whatever. Some private pile but, stuff. <laughs> yeah. But bears really, man, they're not too picky. I've seen them get into fuel cans. Like, I don't know what it is. They like, they like fuel cans and rubber petrol products. Um, but yeah, it's always, I mean, like, so at my force, we get trained and certified to be, uh, shooters, uh, all of us, it's, it's, it's uh, mandatory on my force. So we're all called. So one role I went up and I was the shooter for our crew and, um, you know, it's just having a, shot, a shotgun in camp and being responsible for that shotgun. So something happens, you know, typically you're running chainsaws. So you don't have to worry too much about that, like while you're working, working. But you go back to check on camp and you do that periodically or have somebody there if you have had a little problem. Um, that shotgun's there. Uh, hopefully you don't have to use it, but train too, like yeah. what we were talking about before. But the fresh food boxes do become a problem. You know, there's backhaul involved. We were talking about that kind of stuff earlier. Uh, and then for sure the with the with the bears. Uh, it's always a chore. God, man. And that sucks too, that like, unfortunately every once in a while, a crew has to, you know, if there's a, a bear that's getting aggressive around, cause they're, I mean, they're going to be aggressive around food. They're going to want that food for themselves, but that puts your crew in danger as well. So I understand it, but at the same time, it sucks. Yeah. yeah it way sucks, man. Like I was super sad that first year, um, you know, my first crew boss, it was a great experience, uh, as mentioned, but I felt bad, you know, the bear died kind of while I was crew bossing, um, for the crew. Uh, I felt real, I don't want to say guilty, but I did. I felt responsible for it. It's a bad deal, but the problem is, man, like, what do you do? It's not always just your fault because now you've got five or six or eight or 15, 20 other camps scattered around you somewhere that are all drawing the smell in. We had some bear problems this last year, 2019 getting into camp or might've been even birds, but it became a big deal on our division and our spike. And, uh, it's definitely, and then we had some bear problems as well. But once a bear comes, if a, the problem is a bear comes once and gets a taste, it's ruined for life, man. That bear's ruined. And so is that spot. So your best getting up and moving, switching places every so often, or definitely once a bears came in, like 
smell you later, man. Like we're not, I'm not trying to kill a bear. Uh, so you can either get up and move, which takes some effort, right? Now you got to relocate and hope you don't pull that bear there too. But yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's what we deal with up here, you know, between that and the mosquitoes, right? You lose your street cred the minute somebody sees you put on a head net, right? Oh man. So since we're on the subject of, mos- of uh, mosquitoes, dude, so what's, what's the deal with the mosquitoes? Everybody says they're the size of hummingbirds up there and they're just out for blood. Yeah, if it was a Jerry Seinfeld joke, that's how he would start it. What's the deal with these giant bird mosquitoes, huh? It is it is yeah, weird inflection of voice. Well, what's the deal yeah. with these mosquitoes? What's yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, he's uh it's it's my first year, 2015, has been the worst mosquito year. It's basically getting your Buddha, getting your chi centered, getting getting everything like man. I don't know how the caribou do it. My first year up here, my captain is a real, he's one of my best buds up here too. Um, and the senior at the time, uh, oh, uh, my, used to be wild Bill Harris. Now it's mild Bill Harris. He's out of Lakeview, a uh, hell attack now. If you ever run into him, good dude. Some of the funniest stories come out of that guy, but they took me on a hike both in, they were short sleeve shirts. I had a hoodie on and, uh, this is like, man, like, I don't know, third week at work or something. We're PT hiking. And we go through this big hemlock stand. We're, we're climbing elevation and like from zero to, you know, nothing, a thousand, right? Cause it's zero here, basically two, 300. And, uh, the elevation now will kick my ass. It was these mosquitoes, man. They were uh, all over me. I had, so I put my hoodie on, I tied it up like Christmas story. The dude, the little brother who couldn't put his arms down and he had to go pee. That's probably what I looked like. Right. I had my sleeves rolled down over my hands and I was just like every step just getting bit and it hurt. And I was just like, I, I couldn't think of anything else but these damn mosquitoes. In the meantime, I'm looking at two guys hiking in front of me, hacking, right? They're like inhaling mosquitoes. <laughs> they're hacking and like almost throwing up and they're both in short sleeve shirts and not saying a word. And Just I'm embracing cussing. the suck. Oh, dude. Like this, they have mastered, they are, they are doctors of the suck. They are masters. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so Jedi, Jedi warrior masters of the suck. And so I'm like, dude, how'd you guys do that? And my captain's like, man, I just, you got to find Buddha, man. You got to get in the place. Just find your Zen. Yeah. I took my hoodie off and my temples on my head. Like one of the only places was my forehead and head showing. And right where your sweatband was. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was where my, like, I look like, I look like Kenny off South Park. It was the only part of my head showing uh, through my hoodie. And I, and my head was like, I look like Alpha Man when I took the damn thing off. You know, I had to keep formation. So like that's, I mean, we, I haven't dealt with them as much uh, in the last since then, but I think the worst, worst, worst are the White Sox, dude. And so the White Sox. Yeah, what are those? Just like another kind of mean ass yeah, bug? Yes. They're the, they will, they will take flesh off you and they will swell you up. You'll have a, it'll look like, it'll look like some goofy cartoon stuff where you'll have a, a bite on your forehead. They typically, like if let's say you're cutting, um, and they'll get up, you know, you got all your PPE on, right? So a lot of stuff's covered up your hands, your arms, all this stuff. And so once again, they're, they love crawling up on that head where they can get in, but they love that, uh, where your uh, guts of your hard hat go, mm-hmm. where that headband p- spot is, they'll hit that real hard. So you'll take your hard hat off and you'll have this like indention from where your like where your, where your guts would be on your head. And then immediately this huge protrusion coming out on your forehead, you look like Frankenstein brow. Right. And it's all because of these white socks, my dog got, my dog got tagged up by, by one and uh, or a couple and like huge deformed. I mean, it's elephant man stuff. It's crazy, but they hurt, they itch. And they swell up. My son got bit by one in his ear. It was like, 
you know, like you have cauliflower ear. Oh, dude, it was worse. It was embarrassing. Like if if you had to be stuck with that, I'd have. I mean, it's like some soul searching stuff, dude. It's six inches swollen up, like sticking out, like elephant ears, dude. Fuck, they're brutal. Is there anything you can do, like uh, like DEET or anything like that? I mean, I usually rock a can of hundred hundred proof or hundred proof DEET or whatever you want to call it, hundred percent. Hundred, yeah, (laughs) yeah. The uh, we man, it's hard because it'd be like saying going down Nevada, Arizona, and and throwing on tons of sun sunscreen, right? Like what, who's this white boy, right? Or who's this, who's this like a uh, ginger skin who can't cut it, right? We're all brown down here because of the sun, like mm. man up. Same thing up here. It's like, you just eventually get used to it. We, we, uh, my captain, so we got this study back about the hard hats in DEET. And, you know, this is plastic, petrol, hard plastic product, right? What protects our head. And that DEET, that spray from being used on it, he had to retire his hard hat after whatever, a couple of years. And uh, it had cracks in it. Because of the DEET? Because of the chemical, man. And so that's why you see a lot of things that are like, uh, you know, not 100% DEET. Because that DEET is super uh, abrasive or corrosive or however you want to term it, whatever the term is. But it eats that stuff. And so I don't use any of that, man. If I, if I get into a position, I do carry a head net uh, because I've heard... It's not for when you're working, though. It's for when you stop to eat, um, when you can't even take a bite of a sandwich because you're choking and uh, and taking in uh, mosquitoes via the lungs. You know, like you can't eat that way. So it's good to be able to chew your food with a head net on if you absolutely have to. But I've still never even used it, man. I gave my my good homeboy Pete, um, who's from. Uh, he went to college with me, but he ended up on Smoky Bear Hot Shots. I've mentioned him to you before. Yeah, he he has the hunting show there in Oklahoma. It's good dude, but he came up with Smoky Bear and Fitting, and he posted some uh, in 2015 and posted some photo or sent me a photo of him in a head net. I'm like, dude, you just lost all street cred with that thing on. <laughs> you got to wear that. You don't take pictures of that. No oh, man. Yeah, it's it's just wild though because you always hear stories about it, and you know I'm totally naive to the whole subject because I've never fought fire up there. But I'm reading uh, Murray Taylor's book right now. You know, jumping fire which yep. it's up to you guys and he's going to be on the show here soon um, oh sweet yeah ak legend bro anyways uh he was saying that there's one chapter in his book where he's talking about the practice jumps that the rookies all have to go through and some guy got wadded up on a practice jump and he was unconscious and then when they found him his face was like completely black with mosquitoes just chowing down on him the guy lived he was fine uh i think he the result of his injuries put him out of fire for life you know but mm-hmm. that's a dangerous game you play with uh with jumping but yeah dude completely black his skin was completely black with just mosquitoes just feasting on him dude yeah that's that's a crazy book too murray taylor up here at fairbanks but uh i've read that as well the uh yeah man there's a thousand ways to die up here dude there's a thousand ways to get to get hurt whatever i mean it's not just you know smoke inhalation or wrecking your car up here which is a big deal we live on the moose one of the most dangerous highways up here yeah uh whether it be the moose you know like one of the the big, bigger danger than bears up here is is cow and calf moose you know mom will chase your ass down just to kick the heck out of you and kill you oh yeah just for looking wrong so you know we had the moose are out and about right now i've done over like 500 miles on snow machine in the last few weeks um working for the refuge um you know we've got a little agreement going i mean a couple other forest folks forest service folks working for them and and, uh man they are every everywhere it's crazy i'm waiting for the snow to go down so maybe find the shed or two hell yeah dude get a moose paddle that'd be badass yeah they're heavy though 
Well, that's a cool thing too, though, man. It's, I mean, aside from like the whole fire thing, though, the, the quality of life in Alaska sounds just bitching. Like you're saying, you got this freaking awesome house close to like the best salmon fishing in the world. And you got arguably the greatest hunting. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever had moose out there, but it is some of the best wild game I've ever had. I think it even places above elk. Yeah, I would be willing to trade I'm some salmon for elk out there for any listeners. Uh, hit me up, uh, message me on Instagram at booze and fire. I'm looking to, I was on a fire down in North Carolina in 16 when they were blowing up and this lady was like, Oh, Alaska, you probably get sick of salmon. I'm like, yes, I do. I'm willing to trade if uh, you got any specialty meats in the freezer. And she's like, I got some elk. I'm like, let's do this. <laughs> Never happened. I was super disappointed. I was looking in the mail every day for something and yada, yada. But, um, yeah, we've got phenomenal, God, the, the quality of life. I, I was talking about our trail systems. Um, we've got, I would correct you in saying the best salmon fishing in the world. Our, our influx is like almost half, like a half a million to a million people just on this uh, Kenai Peninsula. And I live in a town of 200, around 250 full-time people. So a really cool mountain community. Um, the quality of life, as you said, uh, we get a lot of rain. Um, however, in my community, we're kind of protected by a little a mountain rain shadow, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's beautiful, dude. I went from battle mountain with wonderful people, uh, but kind of like shitty scenery, uh, and you know, the quality of life was a struggle, but up here it's every day is you wake up and you're happy to be alive and you're happy to have the job you do. Um, and the people up here are all real resilient, even if they don't like you, they're typically willing to, you know, come pull you out of the snow or charge battery or, whatever pick something up from anchorage for you if you need to and you're not trying to make a town run and we've got a we've got a nice ski resort about an hour from my house alieska yep alieska there you go your uh, research there it's it's a pretty big deal uh, my son as a six-year-old he gets to go up there and ski for free and that's another cool thing about quality of life up here it's the schools um they do cross-country skiing for like pe or recess and <laughs> you know awesome. they're always doing like yeah like whatever man it's it's every day of the year whether it's ice fishing or snow machining or, or, uh, you know, uh, fly fishing in the Kenai or the Russian rivers, uh, in the summertime or going out on the salt water down in Seward, which is only like 45 minutes away, which is my favorite going to catch some halibut and dude, some, uh, halibut's my jam, dude, you can cook halibut any, any way you want. It's good. You oh, can't yeah. mess it up. Yeah. You have to and try then, to fuck that up. <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. But you know, catching a silver out at sea, rockfish are fun too. They're down there with the halibut. That's uh, a nice whitefish and taco. Yeah, dude. I mean, I, I used to do a lot of shore fishing for rockfish up in uh, Southern Oregon and dude, it, yeah. it's good. It's good stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's poor man's crazy. halibut. Yeah, it is. And you reel one of those up and they got that big old air bladder sticking out like a big tongue. They're the ugliest um, hell, but they taste great. They're ugly. Boy, they're scary looking. But, um, you know, in Cod, we've got it all, man. It's a sweet place to live. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And I'm, I'm definitely, if I end up being a GS6 Step 10, I'll be happy, man. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm always detailing, always looking for cool opportunities to chip in. But I, I got a sweet life up here and I'm, I'm happy. My family, my wife, she, she loves it. She does a thing up here. She gets to do more fun stuff than I do. Usually I'm out on fire paying for it all and they're out in the back country somewhere doing something cool, man. Doing something rad. Yeah. Yeah. We get subsistence. So we get, we get moose roadkill. I've gotten one each year for the last two years. Um, so that's always cool. Fill the freezer up with some roadkill that you didn't have to like do a whole, whole lot of hard work for. Um, and then we get subsistence salmon. I get like 25 salmon for myself plus five for each, uh, number of the household. So 
Um, we get 35 salmon. So keep that in mind for those folks out there that are, uh, you know, have some elk or something handy in the freezer. <laughs> He's up for tradesies, yo. <laughs> yeah. And I'm allowed to, I believe I'll double check my regs, make sure I'm not, uh, stepping on any body parts here by saying yeah. it, but fishing uh, game would be out of your ass. But yeah. yeah. So now, uh, you, did you mention you, I, I believe you just mentioned someone, it kind of cut out there for a second, but, uh, you mentioned something about a roadkill tag. Yeah. So there's a roadkill subsistence. So there's a couple communities that are on the uh, highway system here that are r- rural communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're so many miles from quote unquote, a grocery store or whatever kind of living. Um, my situation, by the way, folks is not that bad. I don't live in like a village up in the interior where the only way in is snow machine, boat or plane. I live on the highway system. However, it is a rural community and a uh, small town. Um, and so we're a ways away from a grocery store by an hour, I'd say at least. And our community qualifies for subsistence. And that means, like I said, that salmon is federal subsistence and state, I believe. But um, so if a, if a moose gets hit on the highway, let's say somebody clips one in the, in the hip, on the driver's side hip of that thing, it goes down, right? Um, it dies on the highway. You, the state troopers have this list. Uh, and families, I believe, especially with numbers get, uh, you know, bumped up, they get like first draft pick, if you will, mm-hmm. on the priority list. But, um, you know, and then they move down the list. So if, if Brandon and his family don't answer the phone, they call booze and his family like, yeah, we'll be there. We'll be there. Right. We'll be there to now, you know, we're coming and I'll bring like me and my posse and we'll come chop that thing up and cut it up and clean it, Corner load it up throw it in the back of your truck. And take yeah. It yeah. And so it's a lot different than cleaning like a whitetail deer. That's my first kill. Uh, it was a whitetail deer before, uh, during muzzle loading in Oklahoma before. And, you know, you got the thing and then carry it and out and whatever in the wood. But this is like, you, you know, it's obviously big game for those folks that haven't done that. I hadn't done it before here. Um, so I was ignorant as well. But you're not pulling the guts out. You're, you're, you're carrying quarters like on meat eater and stuff. And and then what we're in, what we have to do, what we're obliged to do and um, mandatory is is get that carcass off the side of the road. So now we don't have wolves or bears or, you know, big birds and uh, eagles, tons of bald eagles up here. So we don't have these scavengers scooping up some uh, nice, uh, stinky moose stomach, you know, dead moose or something like, yeah, that makes sense though. Cause now you're just creating another, you're mitigating a hazard for other people. Then we'd have a bear on the side of the road too. No, it's cool, man. Yeah. It's way cool. It's a, it's a cool way of living. Um, I'm, I'm very, like I said, I'm very fortunate. It's, it's not, uh, it's not hotshot crew hours. Although I, like I was saying before, I hustle hard, man, to, to make those hours into detail and get some new experience rather than just be the assistant all the time. But, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, it's a cool way of life for sure. Hell yeah, man. And now you've been all the way across the country, back and forth from Oklahoma to Nevada to all the way to Alaska. And that's kind of like your home base. That is your home base now, but I just kind of wanted to, like, you mentioned this a lot during the episode is like the power of networking and you probably couldn't have gotten there to where you are today. Just stoked living the stoke life in the Kenai Peninsula, you know, without that networking. So what would you have to say to like the folks that are out there listening and like the importance of networking? I think it's one of the most important things, man. I, I hate saying that, but I really do. Um, it's obviously helped me in my life a lot. I learned a long time ago to like get somebody's name and remember that name and call them by that name. So when I meet somebody, I shake their hand and I repeat their name back to them maybe twice. I also, well, if I forget that name, I'm not embarrassed to re-ask that name. And that alone has done some pretty big deals. But I also think with that networking thing, I'm a big reader. So like Dale Carnegie, I, I brought this up to you before Dale Carnegie, 
How to Win Friends and Influence People is a classic book. And it's kind of about not, I don't want to say about sales, but it's more about your personality and how you treat people. Because when I'm telling you something, unless you already think I'm cool or you, whatever, you've got some interest in me, you don't want to listen to me talk about myself over and over again, especially the more time we're around each other, unless you're enthralled by my, uh, intrigued by my stories, right? If I've done some stuff you haven't done, lived a different life. But most likely, what most people want to talk about themselves, man, and, I, and, and reading that book, it's like, just listen, okay? And make somebody feel special or important, right? And establish a relationship where they feel comfortable with you. My name, my name is Micah Booz. I've gone by Booz ever since like sports can remember uh, growing up, right? Basket, super successful in basketball with a great team uh, from Thomas, Oklahoma. Um, and I've had great coaches teach me the importance of like being respectful. Uh, my whole career, Mike Tyson and, and, and Jim Petrie, some guys uh, I grew up like some, we're talking about like some uh, Vince Lombardi style and uh, like Coach Chesky from Duke style basketball football coaches I had. And they taught me the importance of that stuff of just like always presenting yourself as projecting yourself as, you know, disciplined and respectful. Uh, and then carrying that over into fire, like meeting other people who, who've mentored me. But I think the Dale Carnegie book and, you know, being from Oklahoma originally, the Will Rogers mentality of like never meeting someone you didn't like, somebody everybody has something to offer to somebody uh, and not just somebody, but to the table and knowing how to do that. I mean, there's people like in this job, man, there's so many people like every day you're like, God, I don't want to be solo with this person all day. Or I don't want to like, man, this person on the crew, like kind of, I don't know, taints our image or, or they might, you know, I don't know. There's always some excuse in the back of your mind to not, to not like somebody or not give them the benefit of the doubt. And uh, I think it's always helped me to make friends that way. It's always been a survival mechanism anyway, the way I grew up in a certain regard. Um, but I've always been class clown, so it's easy for me to get inside. And then with the name Booze, it's, I don't know, it's, 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 it's like I'd be damning that name if I didn't step up and be some sort of decent person. And I think it's easy for me to network. But I think those are like some good advice for young folk or even old folk who struggle with it is names and treating people like you want to be treated. Obviously, that's the golden rule we all learned in, you know, damn kindergarten. It's real and it works. But um, yeah, I think the other third thing is like being an individual and having a personality and not be scared of who you are. Don't be annoying. But, you know, like. I don't know, like be cool and be like be yourself, be yourself for sure. And love yourself uh, because no one else is going to love you if you don't love yourself. And, and I'm not talking like, you know, corny stuff. I'm talking in the fire world for sure. If you don't have confidence in who you are, I mean, I don't know. It's going to take somebody else to pull you up. But I think, I think, I think, um, I think the networking stuff is, is some of the most important stuff you can do in this. It's definitely got me some sweet details, some, some sweet two week, four week assignments. It's definitely allowed me to build some cool relationships. It brought me and you together in a cool way Hell yeah. uh, via, via some crazy stuff. You know, we've got some other uh, stuff going on the underground, as we like to say. And I think that's cool, man. I'm happy to be a part of all that. And that, that came from, you know, networking and, and, you know, being open-minded and like believing in people, which I think is cool. Just trying something different, man. I mean, shit. That's, yeah, that's a everyone, big one too experience and everyone's has different ones and some people have more than others. And I think for those that have more than others need to be humble and share some of those. And I think the ones that don't have those need to shut up and listen sometimes. And I don't know, I wish I would have a little quicker, but I learned. I know it's kind of funny. It's, I find it kind of ironic that I try and abide by this like whole mentality, but especially considering the fact that I run a podcast about wildland fire. So I'm just sitting here talking, but I'm a firm believer in you have the fact that you have two ears and one mouth, you should listen 
twice or three times as much as you speak, man. So definitely on board with you there. Yeah. Let me hit on that. I tell my uh, six year old boy all the time, he has my personality. So he's trying to be comedian all the time. He's already trying to do the, the network stuff. And I don't know, he gives his mom a hard time on my behalf. So sometimes I got to get on him, but, um, he says, uh, I tell him all the time, I'm like, yo man, you got two eyes, uh, or excuse me, two ears and one mouth for a reason. But I also tell him like, think about all those other holes in your mouth. Okay. They're all for intelligent intake, right? So you're gaining intelligence, right? Your eyes are, are, are taking in stuff. They're not saying stuff. Your ears, same thing, right? Yeah. Your nose, your smell, you got two holes there and your mouth can go both ways, but mainly it's still intake. But however, right, you got a young guy versus an old guy trying to tell him something or like, yo man, I've been here before. Listen to me. And, you know, obviously we know where that goes sometimes. I think it is the shut up and listen in a nice way. Two mm-hmm. years, one Oh, hell yeah, dude. I mean, that's the thing is you gotta, you gotta definitely listen. That's for damn sure. You might learn a thing yeah. too. If you're not ego, if you could check your ego for like five seconds and actually like look in and look around and take in everything that's going on around you, that's when you're going to learn a lot of shit, man. For sure. I agree, man. hundred percent. I love, I love trying to help and teach those young guys though too. And obviously my six year old. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good mentality to have, man. But yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, I've, that was yeah, I think we're getting to the time point of the episode. So you mentioned your podcast earlier. Let's plug that, man. Yeah, so this is going to be coming up. Uh, I'm in the works right now. I'm going to have a podcast with, um, you know, not trying to steal any of your kind of clientele or or, or, or promotional stuff there, but hopefully to compliment it in, in a way. I've been dreaming all oh, for three or four years about uh, doing this and dreaming it up and trying to calculate how I want to do it. Uh, and I think it's going to be a little more of a, um, you know, um, I don't say wide, wider body of folks, but, uh, it's going to be more, uh, it's going to be, it is, it will have some fire stuff in it and it will be kind of, uh, on, uh, some, some other capacities as well in the, in the, in the wildlife and the wild outdoors, uh, uh, scene. Um, so I'm hoping to offer that up too. I, I told you about the surface shitting movement I'll have coming out, <laughs> rolling out forward too. I've also, uh, being the ideas guy I am, um, I'm always looking for new and better ideas as well and feedback, but um, I've got a couple of book ideas. One is going to get priority. I got a phone call coming up this week uh, with somebody you and I both know uh, and kind of been networked in through both of the folks we know. Um, So I got a phone call tomorrow, I believe, about that. Uh, I'm going to try to get some intel on where to go with a a book idea. It'll be a small book idea. And then another book idea, hopefully two after that, uh, depending on how everything goes. Um, my biggest struggle is time, right? I got a family. So, uh, and we live in Alaska. We're coming upon, you know, we're getting a lot of good daylight out by now. We're getting five minutes out of the day. So that'll help. And then we just did this stupid rollover fake man-made time into this new futuristic uh, spring forward. So, uh, once we get everything going, I'm definitely gonna start plugging it. Uh, but yeah, we'll have the surface shitting movement coming, uh, and that's not going to be the title of it. Uh, I'm saving <laughs> that for later because I've got some good uh, innuendos on that. And then, uh, you know, look out for the podcast coming soon. Um, and then any other works, right? Just uh, at Booze and Fire uh, on Instagram is my main hub. There'll be a website coming out with all this kind of stuff on it. Uh, I just got a lot of uphill work to do. Um, and yeah, if there's any feedback out there, folks, always listening. I think... Uh, I'd like to probably close out my uh, long talking here with thanks to the folks uh, who've always 
uh, helped us out before, right? So we're where we came from. And there's been a lot of folks that have helped us get there. And I want to thank all those folks from the folks that uh, I had an old guy in Oklahoma tell me one of my first kind of like supervisor guys said, I'm one of the last ones left in the fire world uh, out of that group. And he's like, I can't believe you of all people are the only one doing this and doing it like on your level. So that was kind of a cool compliment. Um, you know, I, I plugged Joe Malson, Brock, you like all those guys. My unit here is awesome. I did a detail in Flaming Gorge with uh, an AFMO uh, buddy of mine that helped hooked it up. And he's, he's also a good mentor in the media world. Uh, last name Shinko. I don't want to give too much out there for all the love and hate that he has, but, um, yeah, I'm thankful for everybody, man. I'm thankful for you for hooking this up. I'm thankful for what you're doing and, and all, you know, all the other folks views from work, hot shop brewery, smoky generation. I'd like to get, uh, in, in touch with those folks for that micro grant when they got coming up. Huh? Have you heard anything on that? I don't know when it's going to be released this year, uh, but Bethany's definitely got a good thing going on, dude. I definitely appreciate what she's done for the fire community, especially folks with, like in your position or the writers, bloggers, all those folks. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of folks that have uh, been through that program. And I, I think it's, I think it's awesome, man. Highlights the the talents and capabilities of the guys and girls out there in the field. Agreed. I think it's a good opportunity, man. And that, like I said, I think we're at a cool point in this fire, like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say climax or apex, but there's definitely uh, a nice, uh, I don't know, ascension that that's, that's, that's happened. And there's a lot of uh, cool, not even just social media, but a lot of cool projects out there. And knowing what you and I know, there's even more stuff to come. And I think it's going to be pretty rad and I'm happy to be a part of it. And and, um, yeah, I look forward to fire season. You guys see me out there, see the name booze on the IEP. That's what I go by. Um, Say, Hey, what's up to me? Hell yeah, man. It's a good philosophy to have, dude. And uh, yeah, you got your shout outs out of the way. You got where we can find you, man. And fuck, man. Let's get this podcast I will give rolling. One more dude. shout out. I, I got a, I've got a buddy, a smoke jumper buddy who's kind of um, laid up right now, man. He had an unfortunate uh, illness slam him on his way back from Baja. Uh, super good dude. One of my uh, favorite smoke jumpers, actually. And he's well respected in the shack up here in AK. And uh, yeah, he just went down. So um, they did a big donation outreach. I don't want to give his name out. I want to keep it anonymous uh, to respect him and his family. But uh, if there's anybody that's um, wanting to donate, I know we have the foundation, but I'm not sure that how much they get involved in people that are just laid up other than like deaths. And I think we can do a, a real good job of supporting our our folks. You posted something about uh, the hotshot who was down and hurt, the GoFundMe. There's a GoFundMe for uh, my good buddy who's a bro up here. If anybody's interested in donating, uh, you know, direct message me on Instagram and I'll shoot you that website to go fund him um, in his struggle. It's a rare disease and it's a crazy deal. So I just wanted to shout out to him and all the AK folks. Hell yeah, man. Well, booze, dude. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. And uh, if you guys are you guys and girls that out there listening, definitely hit them up on uh, Instagram at booze underscore and underscore fire booze and fire if you just type in booze and fire i'm sure he's the first person that's gonna come up he's got some epic photography man it's definitely uh definitely badass man definitely i appreciate what you're doing man thanks for coming on the show and talking talking all sorts of ak stuff dig it yeah as i always say cheers man it's my it's my slogan cheers and uh thanks for your friendship dude you're a good dude and uh once again we all appreciate what you're doing thanks man i appreciate it everybody take care
right, guys, there you go. Episode number 32 is in the books with Micah Booze. Micah, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences and your background, your photography, and some of your philosophy on the show, dude. I definitely appreciate it. AK sounds like a gnarly place, and it sounds like it's uh, kind of like the Wild West of firefighting. It's like truly the last frontier. Way different than the lower 48, that's for damn sure. Anyways, man, I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, you got some great uh, views on being true stewards of the land and providing that actual environmental background, which is technically our job. So we could do a lot of stuff, man. Uh, there's a lot of ideas floating around there. And uh, I think you're uh, you, you're onto something, man. Definitely. Especially with uh, all the solar stuff and what we can do better. And you know what? We all need to take a, take a hard look at ourselves and tell people not to surface shit anymore. <laughs> Anyways, just want to say thank you to everybody who's listening. Uh, without you guys, we cannot make this show happen. So thank you so much for your support. Keep tagging us in the old socials and we'll keep reposting you. Definitely appreciate it. Special shout out to all of our sponsors, Smoky Generation, Hotshot Brewery, and Mystery Ranch. Definitely want to say thank you to everybody who can make this happen. I hope you guys are getting uh, into your preseason training, and I hope that you guys have a good season. It's coming. It's right around the corner. It's coming at us fast. So take care, guys. We'll see you on the next one.